to have a career. Mm, and about that. As a carpenter. Did you always wear number three? No, uh, no you wore number 11. I was 11 for England. for England. When I played for England, internationally, I Is that how desperate England six. were for a left winger? Well, six. We <laughs> yeah. Played, yeah, we played Cameroon at Wembley in December. That was a masterstroke, was it? They didn't want to be there at all. <laughs> we, we, and, we, were, we were on a school what? trip to that game. There was a group no of way. us who were on a school trip to that game, and it was cancelled on the day of the game. We didn't go because the RE teacher, who was supposed to be taking us, was ill. Religious so education. We had no, that we were taking watch you. And, and uh, so we can cancelled. go. That would have been my only trip to the old I was Wembley. playing as a left-hand-sided centre-half because Glenn Hoddle thought it would extend my international career. What a fool! Yes. What for? Uh, went for the 87 Cup final, Coventry Spurs. That was Did the you? first time I went to the, uh, the old Wembley. And then a year later, there was a centenary match there, which Diego Maradona played uh, for. Oh, in the played in, world. Yeah, yeah. And was booed throughout. And I remember watching it back after in the commentation at the beginning, saying, these fans will soon realise what a wonderful footballer is and the boos will stop. <laughs> and the boos lasted the uh, entire duration of the match. I went to the Old Wembley once for SummerSlam 1992. <laughs> really? Yeah. What does that consist With that of? The, the World Wrestling Federation. SummerSlam. SummerSlam 1992. So How old have were you? Rick Rude? Uh, 11. I think Ravish and Rick Rude did feature. Yeah, um, on, on who the else? The main event, King Randy was Savage. The Undertaker. Was the Undertaker around? Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Ah, I see. Was the Undertaker around? Did you know what no. the largest ever attendance at the Old Wembley was? Was uh, it for the 1992 Summer <laughs> It certainly was. Yeah. <laughs> how many people were there? Oh, it was like it was up towards. It was over 90,000. And how many bouts were there? There'd have been about nine or ten bouts. Yeah. Yeah. It was all really good contests. <laughs> oh, very close. You just never yeah. knew who was going to win. <laughs> That no. was really the end of the old Wembley then, wasn't it? The it crumbling was, yeah. edifice that was the old Wembley. SummerSlam finished it off. But yeah. I, think they, I think they only decided to knock it down once it had hosted one of the truly great sporting Yes, yeah, so you want to get that, who's get your, that box who's ticked. Your, yeah, once yeah, you've, yeah. once you've ticked favorite? off the, the World Cup final, obviously, mm. a European Cup final, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. SummerSlam. Was it in the same year, of course? Yeah, that was a big year for in Wembley. In the same year, yeah. Exactly. Pokemon World Championships. Pokemon World Championships, yeah. Who was your favourite wrestler then? Who was my favourite wrestler? Yeah. I... Varied between. Did you, did you model yourself on anyone? Uh, I think <laughs> the Undertaker was a was a was a large form. Yeah, of I can see you've carried that through to your adult life as well. The Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior. I was a WCW Who? fan, so I like Sting. The same. Oh, did you? Different person. Oh, oh right. I currently okay. have a Macho Man Randy Savage T-shirt, which I'm very fond of. I was hoping that you'd say a large poster in your marital bedroom so, of the Ultimate Warrior. See, so you are one of those people who was into wrestling as a kid and is still into wrestling in your mid-thirties. Because I'm not. I'm suspicious of those. People. I'm not into it. I don't watch it. But you have a T-shirt. I have a, a, t- a retro wrestling T-shirt. Suspicious yeah. in what way, Steve? Just it seems like the kind of thing that you would grow out of. Yeah. It seems like I can understand the attraction to to the younger mind. You know, the razzmatazz, so you, the show, and you can still the showmanship some... of it. But yeah. once you kind of realise that it's all a little bit silly and nonsensical, have you? you and but, I, see, I, I feel the same way about Coronation Street. Yeah, but I don't watch that either. Ginch does. <laughs> I've always thought you you presented Rory the high benchmark of intellects on the set piece menu but now What's made you I'm think not that? sure it's just changed it's I've changed question. my mind mm. I'm a I'm an an absorber of many different types of culture Steve he is a man of eclectic tastes yeah so maybe you might want to start fine tuning some of those don't close your mind off Steve and everything has value low culture and high culture are both of equal importance is that right in understanding in, in understanding populist movement, which, as we all know at the moment, is very important. So indeed. it's culture a circle. Donald so Trump. High and low culture. Just Donald is that, Trump. Is that high or low culture? Number 12. Was, was in wrestling. It's the he? circle of life. He was. Yeah, see? That it's, sounds it's like It's the a, wheel of fortune. Mm. And it moves us all on whatever. On the parabola of... 
of destiny. Yes, that's true. It's another edition, everybody, of Set Piece Menu, where four friends talk football over food. Apologies to those of you who have something of a routine. Uh, we're coming to you a little late again this week. This is due to a number of high-profile scheduling conflicts involving both national broadcasters and also the rearranging of FA Cup replays. And also, just as importantly, because Rory can't leave his dog alone for very long at any one time. So is Hector safe? You made that sound quite suspicious, like I was... No, you just like, like to, just, like, just like to molly Tell us where Hector time. is. Hector is at Doddy Daycare. Oh, my God. It's only his second time. He didn't like it the first time. In Hector's absence, I've treated everyone today to both my hospitality and my flowery baps. Uh, breakfast balms have been served, along with some of Tesco's finest meat and dairy products. Not Tesco's finest brand, you understand. They're not worth that much. They were nice, actually. They were, they, they, there was there was a certain sort of organic feel about the um, the brunch actually. I thought you might have gone, feel. Yeah, I thought you might have gone to a farm shop somewhere and, and and got the really good stuff. So currently trying to wipe the brown sauce away from all over their faces are Rory Smith, the chief soccer correspondent of the New York Times; Steve Wyeth, the chief commentator of Saturday Night Serie A fixtures on BT Sport. I like that. I'm Hugh Ferris, who today is the chief egg fryer and bacon griller, and Andy Hinchcliffe, who if he was a Native American tribe leader in the 19th century. With a nose like that, he would definitely be Chief Lone Horn. <laughs> You're putting so much thought into these put-downs. Just come off the top of my head. No, it didn't. No, it just complete, I, just, I just happened to have in my head a list of 19th century American chiefs. That's all. On each edition of Set Piece Menu, we discuss one footballing issue. And by the end of the hopefully interesting debate, we come to no conclusion whatsoever, apart from to agree that it was indeed a very important issue. So on this episode, let's talk player power, a phrase popular in football and not just because it alliterates beautifully, particularly in the modern age with big wages and inflated egos. But is it bandied about a little too easily? Do players genuinely wield power over their manager, even their club's owners? Or are we accusing them of something underhanded when their intentions are simply to improve the team's fortunes, sometimes in difficult circumstances? Nobody will be surprised to hear. We'll talk about Leicester during this conversation. But let's start with Andy uh, and find out if you ever felt powerful. Felt powerful? Yes. Ever in my life or when I played football? Ever in your life? Never when I played During your career in the dressing room where you were a rabble-rouser, did you corral Um, people against the authorities? No, but as as your career went on, you probably understood you you were going to have more influence on maybe more the players around you than actually the coaches or the managers. But when I started playing, everyone just listened to the manager. The manager said what was going to happen, how are you going to play? There was no debate. You didn't train and players would say, oh, by the way, boss, can we do this? Can we do that? That didn't happen. So I, I do feel things have changed anyway in the way that players are coached, whether the money that the players earn, there's players earning more money than coaches these days as well. So maybe the players in their own minds feel they're more important than the coach. But I've, I've spoke to a lot of players recently and asked them how training is like. And they do say virtually all these coaches do involve the players a lot more. There's a lot more discussion about how they should do things. It is a two way uh, street as well. So the, the, the coaches and the managers don't just say, this is how we're going to do it. You just get on with it. So whether that's just a progression in football and how coaching and, and management has changed so players have become more involved or whether with the money that the players are earning, the way that they see themselves within the game, that they should have much more of a voice. Maybe it's a combination of the two things. It's whether it's good. It can be very good. I've been at clubs where 
when I was at Everton with Joe Royal and Willie Donachie, they were, were fabulous at their jobs and they did listen to the players, but ultimately we knew when decisions were made, we didn't question them, but they worked with us as well. But we understood there was a line, they did come to a point where a line was drawn and we didn't go beyond that. Maybe more senior players at the club would, would probably say a bit more privately to, to the manager about what was happening. Um, but I, I think it has been a steady progression over 20 years where players at most clubs do have much more of a voice. That's maybe a natural thing. Uh, whether it's, it's good is, is the question, whether it works for a team, it can be helpful. Clearly, I think we've seen it in certain occasions, maybe at Chelsea with Mourinho, when players turn their back on him with what happened with the, um, with the lady doctor there. I think that was a major problem. Player power came to the fore, whether at Leicester. We're not completely sure. Did something happen there as well? It's when owners speak to players. If that happens, yeah, the coaches have got a serious problem there. That's, that, that's when you know you've got a real issue, I think, when when you've got owners, directors, executives, blazers, your blazers, <laughs> when they're going into the dressing room and circumventing the manager, that's when you when the players know they have a direct line in. And you hear lots of accounts of players becoming quite unpopular because they are seen as... I read, in fact, I read something about Zlatan the other day who didn't get on with Cambiasso at Inter because he thought that Cambiasso always took the director's side rather than the players' or the manager's side. He felt that that was a betrayal of that dressing room bond. There were issues at Liverpool when Christian Perslow was there kind of going into the dressing room undermining deliberately or not Rafa Benitez's authority that's when you have a problem when the players become the, I, I guess the the manager should be the person who conveys the football yeah. information yes. to the board when it's the players you have an issue and I think it, it's natural to an extent that that players have got more power now than they maybe did in Chinch's day when it was in black and white because <laughs> They what, are told all what the, the contracts or the football. <laughs> the, uh, everything was black the and white. The TV pictures mainly black and white. <laughs> sort of sepia toned or very kind of grainy colour. But players are told they're sort of fated so much. They're told that they're so crucial. They're, they're given kind of these contracts that they, that that put a, a value on themselves as, mm. as kind of people within the dressing room. But the other thing is, as soon as they, they threaten to leave, the club bends over backwards to say, oh, please don't go, please don't go. That changes the balance of power within yeah. the club so itself. So their, their power comes from their, the money that they earn, yes. but also their worth it's to not, the club. It's not the money that they earn. It's the money but, but that is, inflates their egos yeah, to, to, does, to give yeah. them a sense of power. That's not necessarily a real power. It's the power that they think that yeah. they have. So money in football, you, you can only really understand that. Chinch knows more about this than me, but the way that I think most people in football see it is that it's a reflection of status. It's not about, like, you know, when you, you hear a player wants 120 grand a week and everyone goes, oh, why does he want 120 grand a week? You can't even use that much money. I'd <laughs> give it a go. That's yeah. the man on the street there. That's from Sean Dyche or the man on the street you were doing there? Which, both, both. They're one and the same. Yes. Yeah, one and the yeah. same. The Sean speaks for the man on the street. He does. They don't think the extra 20 grand a week or whatever is important. They don't think, I really need that money because I've got... I need to buy this thing. Like, I want to go to Ikea and do a massive shop. <laughs> I need 20 grand. Just need 20 grand a week to spend on flat pack furniture. It's a, st- it's a status thing in relation to other people at the club and to other players who they consider their peers. And clauses are sometimes written into contracts saying that I have to be the highest paid player mm, at yeah. the club. Or in certain cases, I have to be the highest paid player in this country or, you know, in, in the league or whatever. Or if somebody else at another club, a little Argentinian, say, gets a pay rise, I have to get a pay rise. <laughs> that, that might happen. So it's not that the, the the money itself is a reflection of status, but the status is what gives them the power. The mm. fact that as soon as they threaten to leave, the club will bend over backwards. The fact that clubs consult them on appointment. So you, Barcelona appointing a new manager will speak to PK, they'll speak to Messi. They will only appoint someone who, who they want. And no wonder players have power. It's not... It's, it's unavoidable if you're conducting your business like that. But it's because players 
partly because of the volume of them and partly because of how difficult it has become now to put a squad of players together to, to compete, that the manager is much more easily replaced, isn't he? It's not, it's not a case of saying, right, well, this player is disgruntled, we'll get rid of them. Well, they've got to pay that player off and then they've got to go out and find a suitable replacement and that may be a huge investment as well. Whereas a manager, well, you, you pay them, you know, the year or whatever... That, that break, you know, that's whatever's agreed in the contract. You pay pay them up a year of their salary. They're gone. You can bring somebody else in to coach the players. And I yeah, suppose we've yeah. we've lost that manager thing in this country, haven't we? In England, in particular, uh, they are much more head coaches now. So they're just more easily interchangeable yeah. than maybe three, four, five disgruntled players are. You can spend seasons building a squad that's capable of competing. So you're not about to dismantle that during the course of one transfer window yeah. because members of the dressing room are looking to cause well, that's why maybe I don't know whether this is absolutely true what happened at Chelsea but obviously with the problems that they had I got a sense that the players as you've just said on three or four year contracts on huge money it's far easier to get rid of a coach than it is to get rid of five or six players who aren't happy with that coach the owners are going to weigh this up and say wait a minute this is going to be a difficult problem it's far easier you can just sack a coach yeah. basically and say this isn't working we can get rid of you we can pay you off but getting rid of four or five players simply doesn't it's just impossible and the players know that as well so yeah. they probably think if we have a little chat and we think this is this is what's wrong he's the problem we're obviously going to be able to stay here you speak to the owners about this and whether players do do that whether they do go to the owners and say look this is why things aren't going so well this is the problem we've got in the dressing room you've got to sort it out there's no way you can financially be able to afford to get rid of five or six players the coach is always the one that will get it in the next the coaches again it's that man management and that's why I think clubs work so hard on getting good characters into their clubs as well they know the quality maybe the players but they want to know about the characters as well they're not going to get people coming into the club that are suddenly within a month going to be sticking a knife into the of the coach. We'll talk about the man management issue in just a second. I Yeah, I think it's, in, it's really interesting, the position of manager, because I, I went to Monaco a couple of weeks ago and spoke to their vice president, Vadim Vasiliev, who runs the club for Ribolovlep. And he said, oh, he, he talked a lot about how the manager is the key appointment at any football club, that it, that's the position that kind of defines the journey that club will be on, to, to borrow a phrase from Simon Cowell. <laughs> but it's really interesting because managers are kind of the most powerful person at a club, but also in well, a way... They? the they? I'm not sure. Maybe certain clubs they are. I always thought the clubs had philosophies and coaches were kind of slotted well, that, in. They, they, they do, do now. now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. Sir Alex Ferguson always said our contractual obligation to mention Sir Alex Ferguson in every podcast, but he, he, <laughs> he's, that was his mantra, wasn't it? The, the yeah. manager needs to be yeah. the most important yes, person yes, in a club yes, overall, yes. but yeah, you yeah. wouldn't have that very often anymore. But then, but the thing is that they're not the most important person. They are simultaneously... They're like It's a Schroeder it's a Schrodinger position they're simultaneously the most important and the least important person if the board doesn't like them they don't if the players don't like them they can be levered out and it's that's a fascinating dynamic and it maybe explains why most managers are always in such bad moods it always, <laughs> it always strikes me as odd even when you know I was much younger and just you know, observing football as a fan, that the, the manager or the head coach is not the best paid person yeah. at the organisation. I always thought that was really unusual that you would have not just one player, but many players who earn more yeah. money than the coach. Not least because, as it's come to pass, a manager is much more easily dispensable. So therefore, surely they need to be better rewarded during the very brief tenure in charge. But then that question of authority comes into play. You wouldn't have a situation where the chief executive was mm was paid a lower salary than, than the, many numbers of the employees that worked underneath But not even him, that, like the chief executive's on less money than like the seasonal workers <laughs> yeah, who yeah. come in for like six months. That's what it is, basically. Like this guy 
guy comes in, he's, he earns three times as much as you. He's our reserve left back. But clearly, <laughs> yeah. the, the club see the players as the most important thing in terms of what the club is all about and in terms of PR, rather than mm. the coach. When it used to be the coach, and then the players were underneath the coach. The coach is what you used to talk about in terms of a club. Now, if you talk about clubs, maybe you talk about five or six players rather than the coach itself. The, the Maybe that's strange, just the way things are The other strange gone. thing about that, though, is that if the club owners are going straight to the, to the players because of, they consider them more important, why are they doing that? Because they're asking them potentially questions about a matter of experience when the person that they've employed, and they sometimes will be paying a lot of money for, as a manager or a head mm. coach, has sometimes 30, 40 more well, years is, worth of experience yeah. in the game. Why are they bypassing that and making a decision about that person's future, in some instances, yeah. by asking somebody who's 24 again, years old and has been a professional for 10 years? Exactly. The players have got to, got to know their role as well. I would never have took it upon myself, even at 32, at the end of my career, saying to the owners, I'll tell you what you should be doing, what kind of coach you should be employing. I'm a player. You should be telling you that's your job to put somebody career, in charge. You were, you were, <laughs> no, I was you mainly lying on, a, on a treatment table in the operating <laughs> victim. But Bandage. again, I, I would never see when I was at Everton. You had players like Dave Watson, Neville Southall, Barry Horn, who were real proper men, not like me. Your chemistry teacher, proper men, exactly. Yes, yeah. so intelligent, who had vast experience, but also could put a sentence together. And they were the the the, the, the people that players listened to coaches listen to and owners listen to and they should be listened to as well because they only have their interests of the club at heart they're not self-interested that's that's the problem when players uh, lose sight of it it's all about me how can you tell yeah, the that's difference that's a really good point well that's again you, you only learn that over time but again players sometimes players put themselves in a position saying well I, you know, I want to be the top earner I am the most important and then they start trying to drive how the club is moving forward and if the owners listen to those people the wrong people it's massively dangerous but this is always going to be the way owners are going to listen to everybody to try and get everyone's yeah, view or maybe what's happening on the training in the dressing room a to try and get a feel of what's going a on a chief exec should go to the players to a, a group of senior players to take their view he should speak to coaches to take their view the medical staff the manager it should that, that's good management in. isn't it yeah. But yeah that's good management And but the fact that, that football clubs are in this weird position where the manager's not respond in most cases the manager's not responsible for a bad run of results. If you look at the way the analyses have been done on this, and they, they vary between 8 and 18% is the amount of difference a manager makes to a team's results. That's not It's big in football where, where the margins are fine, but it's not massive. So Leicester, it's unlikely that Ranieri was the one sole factor that was contributing to their decline. But the players, as Chinch says, they know that they can't, they can't be sacked. I wonder whether a, a moratorium on sacking managers during the season might help. They, they, no one Never. would ever agree to no, it's, no. A good, it's a good idea no. but no one would agree or to that or even just the they? transfer windows you can only hire a new manager in the transfer window you can sack your manager and replace him with, with someone within, within the club, the club yeah. but you can only appoint a new manager in a transfer window so that would that would try and curb this feeling that, that players have of their ability to, to change things and not change themselves i.e. not mm. improve yes. Yes, managers yes, yes. go when results are bad basically unless you lose a manager to a bigger club does he done really well managers get sacked when results are bad when results are, you within a football club again Chinch will know more about this than I do I would say that at any one time 50% of the people within a squad are unhappy yeah. or 50% that mm. are not playing they are always unhappy you can go to any player who's not starting and the player will say oh, don't really like the manager don't think he's up to it then get in the team he's brilliant yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what happens all the time uh, but, but, that's, but that's results also turn and players don't want to say do you know what for all they come out in public and say we need to all work harder players do not want to think this is my fault but that's they're, just they're about to say that but that's, that's also why yeah. yeah that's also why you shouldn't trust what players 
tell you necessarily unless you already have a bond with that player if you're yes. an owner going to that player you've got to put it in the context haven't you you've got to say well I'm hang sure. on a minute this guy's not playing of course he's yeah, going to say he doesn't like the manager there have been so many situations yeah. about managers who have been incredibly successful made wonderful decisions won loads and loads of trophies and there's a player within their squad who isn't happy yeah. well I'm sorry yeah, yeah. use your brain yes. you're not playing because this guy's winning loads isn't picking you and you're telling me that makes him a bad yeah, manager. Exactly, yeah, but look at this, whether this happened or not, whether the owners went to Kasper Michael, went to Jamie Vardy, went to Mark Albrighton and spoke to them about the situation. If those Leicester players had were, were, were looking at themselves honestly, they would say, whatever the problems are with Ranieri, blame us. Blame us, because we have been dreadful. I've seen them play four or five times. I haven't seen the whole season, but you have to say, you make the decision on the coach, but we're simply not doing enough as players. We are not doing enough. Whether we're not happy with the coach or not, still. You, I've, I've played for managers that I don't like, but you still have a professional pride Which to ones? do well for you. So I can't mention. Well, I, I, I'll I, tell you straight I, away. So careful. <laughs> I know that. Um, <laughs> you but know you still have that. You just wanted to hear it from Molson. Actually, two. I can tell you two straight away. I can name about five. <laughs> do it for yourself. You only had five, man. Exactly. <laughs> do it for your teammates. So there has to be. That, that should be the thing that kicks in. The decisions are, should be out of your hands. You should say, well, I, I think this, but actually, you don't listen to me I am a player but because of the money that they earn and kind of the, the profile they have the, the fans maybe expect the players to be standing up telling the owners what they should be doing but the owners should make the decision about the coach the players should just get on with the job we've got an amazing contrast here because I, I think we've all sort of been impressed by the the resilience of a, of a manager to come out after a game and not criticize his players in you know post-match interviews, press conferences. We've almost admired that trait about them, that they are protecting the players. You know, they'll maybe bl- they'll blame the referee or the linesman or the weather or the wind-changing direction. Did you see Carl Robinson's comments after Charlton played Shrewsbury? If you get a chance to listen to his comments, very you refreshing. Can, okay, anyway, carry on. No, no, no you should but, paraphrase. No, no, no. no, 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 no don't, don't, leave, don't leave the audience. Our coaches, our coaches come out and don't say anything and just kind of trip out the same old lines. He goes to town on his players. Deadwood, he goes to town on them saying five or six of them shouldn't even be at the club. I can't get rid of them because of the problem they're under contract. And he, he says yes. everything that you never hear coaches say. He's probably, he's probably right, but very rare that they'll come out and do it. But Carl so Roberts, you get a chance to, you have to listen to that. That's very different to the sort of, you know, the, the, the Sir Alex Ferguson, um, Jurgen Klopp, Arsene Wenger, who at times in, in their careers have all sort of try to find other ways of, of apportioning the blame mm. to protect to distract, their players. To distract us yeah, as well. Yeah, Jose yeah, Mourinho to, yeah. basically puts himself in the firing line by saying something yeah, but outrageous. The, but in the dressing <laughs> exactly. room, he would have gone to town, but he will absolutely not say it in public. But here we are, by contrast, with players who simply aren't willing mm. to accept any level of responsibility and that will almost subtly blame the manager. Jamie Vardy, in his, um, who was alongside Ranieri, ahead of the, the first leg of the Champions League tie against Sevilla, and I think the question or, or the crux of the questions to Jamie Vardy were, you know, what more do the club need to be doing to turn results around? You know, why are things so different this season compared to last? And he kept referring to, well, the manager needs to be working oh, really? harder. The coaching staff need to be finding solutions. You were thinking, well, you don't think that's by accident? You think that's, uh, well, that's an easy way that, of that saying felt, you know what? it? felt to me at the time as though that, that was, you know, that the knives were out a little bit. And there was mm. no sort of sense of, yeah, our performance levels have, have dropped off from last season. We're not, or even just to say, we've not for some reason been able to recreate the level of performance that we were producing and winning the Premier League. Instead, it was all, the coach needs to be working harder. Well, there's surely a limit to how hard the coach can work. As Rory has said, that, you know, between 8 and 18% fluctuation in, in a change of manager in terms of a, a team's results. So that would suggest that 80% plus is down to the contribution of the yeah, players. Yeah, if you're picking uh, the 50, 50% of his luck. 
Fifty percent's luck. Yep. This is the big, the great big. Un- this is t- this is a different subject. To be fair, this is a different <laughs> podcast. But the great unsaid in football is if you look at any kind of analysis of of how stuff pans out in football, fifty percent of it's just completely random chance. Well, it's like that thing about the you know the best team generally wins the domestic league. The the, the champions of yeah. Europe have had a little bit of good fortune yeah. along the way. Yeah. If you've seen Leicester play, those players are not running from A to B as strongly and as consistently as they were last season which is born out so, statistically but then well. to say well the coaching staff's not well as players you're not, I'm watching you yeah. you're not doing the basics yeah. and the difference so, the difference on, uh, on in the first game since Ranieri was sacked so the, the Liverpool game yeah. that they won the, all manner of statistics about the amount of sprints that they did you, you know huge increase but you didn't even need the stats to see that you could watch the game you could see it Liverpool too, were yeah. dreadful but Leicester looked like they were energised they looked like they were, they were determined and the thing is that they, the players couldn't lose in that situation because either you can spin it as oh we feel free because Ranieri's not here anymore and this horrible Italian man was, was forcing <laughs> us to do all these things we didn't like and it was awful and what did he ever do for us anyway or it can be a kind of a reaction to the criticism and you know we, we felt as though our honour was impugned and I, Jamie Vardy, want to show to the public that, that I imagine he's a great orator, Jamie Vardy. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, I yeah. think that might have been the longest yeah. sentence. Yeah. He, to be fair, yeah, he's... Um, he is known as Martin Luther Vardy. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, there's another source of player power that was brilliantly, brilliantly demonstrated in that game. Fans. Hmm. You score a goal, you win a game. Fans, and this isn't meant as a criticism because... The same we're, fans we're that have fans. been protesting before yeah. the game about Ranieri going. We're all fans and journalists are still fans. But you store it all you win a game, mm. everyone cheers, don't mm. they? The Leicester fans I've spoken to about this are gen- generally behind the owners. The owners have got an awful lot of credit in the bank at Leicester. So although they lamented the departure of Ranieri and celebrated all that he had achieved, I don't think Leicester supporters are quite seeing it in black and white like supporters of, of other clubs in that you know there was this treachery here and there was this self-serving nature of, of the players they could actually see that the tide had changed and that they perhaps looked at it from the point of view well the easiest component to change yeah, yeah. was yeah. the coach and that might help get the best out of those players again and and although I don't necessarily agree with that one one point was, was made to me by a colleague of, of, of Hugh and I's uh, John who works for the BBC World Service who's, who's from Leicester and and follows Leicester is that I have to give him credit for this I can't sort of just spurt it out as I was going to say the same process. thing and completely steal it because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give John the credit is that, that although well, he, he sort of said well did the club no no the players had the club's best interests at heart and I sort of clarified that with him I said no I'm, I'm sure that's not the way that the players were thinking that there was a level of treachery here but perhaps the, the players' best interests just happen to be aligned with the, be- the club's best interests. Mm. The players don't want to be playing in the championship next season any more than the club wants to be a championship club next season. So perhaps the removal of the manager was mm. taking away one of the factors that perhaps would have contributed towards relegation so that yeah, actually I'm sure, that those I'm sure two Ranieri doesn't want to be managing the championship no of course either, but, but the flaw in that and I, I see the point that sometimes the interest of the team and the club will align sometimes they don't but the, the flaw in, in John's argument and I just did inverted quote marks as well they, that, that is his real name sure John is real <laughs> is that Leicester only got you could make a case that Leicester were only in the position they were in before they sat Ranieri because the players had had 
stopped putting in the that energy with, and I was effort. just about to say the playing within themselves yeah. to put the manager in a precarious well, no, position because they maybe didn't want him but not there. initially that's a, that's that's a secondary phase isn't it or even a tertiary phase so initially what happens is they win the league title Leicester City win the league title Claudio Ranieri leads Leicester City to the league title right which was something the players seemed to have a problem with all they the did, credit that Ranieri yeah, was getting did, yeah, as yes. though the coach the coach of the champions wouldn't get some yeah. some sort of prestige and accolade from that it was absurd well, especially it? In, in that situation where it wasn't it was a collective effort so it, when it's a collective effort the person who takes the credit for the for the power of the collective is the manager that is makes the person sense. who drew the, all the everything mm. together yeah. what happened before they not down tools I don't think players ever down tools but where they stopped playing at 101% and started playing only at 99 or whatever was they obviously stopped responding to Ranieri's methods but that's the players have agency there the players have the ability to say look we are we don't necessarily agree with what you're doing, yeah. but we're going to try to carry it out. The problem comes when the players say, we don't agree with what you're doing, so that's it. Yeah. That's the problem. Mm. And thinking that they know better. But isn't, yeah. this, isn't this an example, and we, we said that we draw it back to man management, isn't player power only a factor if the manager's man management skills aren't very good? I.e., you can either quell player power or you can satisfy players so they don't feel like they need, they need to rise up or be treacherous because their manager has been able to either instill a relationship with them that feels like they don't need to or alternatively he has played a game mm. with them he has manipulated them in a way and you can you can see it with all, all manner of players yeah. even even as far as Pep Guardiola just and Sergio Aguero you know so with Joe Hart maybe that situation jo- you, 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 you've made a conscious decision to try and manipulate your players into a way that makes them feel like that they don't need to rise up but with, with Pep Guardiola from what you're saying if Joe Hart is, a, is the, one of the best goalkeepers you've got is an experienced goalkeeper would it make sense if you're talking about man management? Wouldn't you be able to use that player to your advantage rather than say he's got to go because but, I don't want the problems that but again, you feel he might that's, cause? That's Pep's way. He's done it at other. I know clubs. he has. But the, 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 the loud saying? voice in the dressing would, room. Would that most coaches in, have want, But he could be insubordinate if he goes against. But would you. most coaches, not Pep Guardiola, would have wanted Joe Hart with what he brings to stay at the club and help him? Bring maybe new not if, to the club. not if they felt that Joe Hart would be naturally resistant. Not if the, res- the research. This is what, again the responsibilities with the player. And yeah. once you work out the character of the player, and you think, however good you are, you're going to be a problem to me. Yeah. I can't. But there are clubs where four or five senior players are massively helpful to the coach as well. So it does. When we hear all these stories, it's so negative. Oh, it's the players have got the manager out. And yes, that does happen. But also, there's senior players that help coaches enormously as well. It does work the other way around. The Joe Hart situation is is born of the fact that. There was a, a story going around that under a previous manager, players gathered together and and made representations on Joe Hart's behalf mm. to play in a game that he might not have been selected for. Mm. And so I think that that story might have got through to Pep Guardiola and he realised that he would not be having any of that happening should, yeah, yeah. for example, mm-hmm. he pick Willy Caballero yeah. instead of Joe Hart to be his number one goalkeeper. Mm. So that's that's why, and that, that is an element of man management, deciding to lads cut, cut out, lads the ball, um, before it becomes an issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, there have been other managers at Manchester City, just taking them as an example, Roberto Mancini did not try and foster any sort of personal relationship with any of his I think players. Mark Hughes similar, wasn't he? Mark and Hughes you just, you just say, yeah. I am here to do my job, I'm coming into training, I'm going to tell you what to do, I'm going to tell you what to do on match day, and then I'm mm. going to go home, I'm not going to speak to you, we're not going to be friends, and I am creating that barrier because it is a job. This well, is the professional rules yes, by which... I conduct myself. But of course, then you are not engaging yourself at all in any sort of man management. 
management, mm. and therefore players can think, well, if he's going to create this barrier, then we're all going to we're all going to join each other at this barrier but and also, repre- represent ourselves against you. But also, the coaches probably know the power that players have, and that the owners do maybe listen to the players. So the manager, the coach, has got to play the game with the squad as well. Where it used to be the case where the manager's word was law, and the squad got got on with with, with what he told them to do. But now you kind of all in it together. So coaches are really dependent in many ways on the characters that they have in the squad. And if they're not happy with any element, it only takes two players to go to the owners and say, you know, the training methods, how we're playing, we really don't, you know, I've, I've done all this and I've been successful in the past and this is not really what we should be doing. The, the coach hasn't got a leg to stand on because he's always going to be the one that's, that gets it in the neck. So are we looking at the, the Pep Guardiola, Joe Hart situation as saying, well, actually, although tactically that has perhaps borne out as being a mistake to get rid of him because he's not found a suitable goalkeeping solution from a man management point of view was it a stroke of genius because he foresaw where there might have been a problem with that regard and dealt with it swiftly before the season had even really started he dealt with it before it was a problem yeah yeah exactly yeah. so yeah. therefore you, you, you would so we, it we happened talk, elsewhere we, you, we, is there we, other examples where a new coach has come in and said Abs- you're absolutely well, not was it at, at Barcelona that Pep Guardiola got rid of when he eventually ascended to the job well, it, it, it were, took, took a bit of time but there was Ronaldinho, Deco and Etu that he decided that he realised that I don't, I, don't, I don't think in all cases certainly in in Deco and Etu's case, it can't have been that they weren't capable of playing the football. I was going to say, it's got to be way beyond that. But, but he realised that they were powerful voices. Ronaldinho, yeah. he felt, didn't train well enough and was leading Messi astray. Etu, I think he thought, was is a very big character, Samuel Etu. Maybe felt wasn't quite as obedient as he'd have liked. Deco, I think there was a similar kind of off-field uh, issue with Deco, to be delicate. So he got rid of them. He basically said, "Look, you, you won't. You will be obstacles to the way to the thing to what I want to do. So you have to." And it's to not go. just tactical. It's, it's oh, in I, terms of I don't think it's at the, all the squad dynamic. And, and to be honest, I don't think with Hart. If I'm completely yeah, to be I don't think that's particularly tactical. No, I think he could have given him a go. He would have given him a chance. Joe Hart can kick a football. Yeah. He's not. Well, he can save a football, which I've always <laughs> yeah, feels like the main thing that you require oh, your goalkeeper to do. This whole Claudio Bravo thing's ridiculous. Let's let's get on to the but goalkeeping podcast another day, perhaps. But, but no, it, but with, with Hart, so he's done it. But this, this is also Pep Guardiola got, got going back to that original point that we said that, that doesn't happen anymore. The manager is the most important person in the club, and he will be able to make those decisions. Even though Joe Hart, yes, big voice, but very popular, been there ten years, and essentially one of the the, the few people who had managed to last the full transitions that City had gone under and here he was being jettisoned so there was no chance for that player to have any power under the manager but Pep is in a unique situation because even more so than Mourinho at United or Klopp at Liverpool because City have pursued Guardiola so ardently for so long he has more power it might not be evident day to day but Guardiola has more power than any co- at his club than any coach well, in Europe. Let's take it back to the other person who had the power, which was who we mentioned earlier, Fergie. But yeah. he, but his his way of dealing with it, in contrast to those managers who have a lot of power and decide that they want to just create a barrier and I'm going to tell you what to do. He would be jokey. He'll be arm round players during the week at training. He'll be incredibly friendly with them, so that he would be able to build a relationship with them of trust of them liking him, so that when he did rollick them and give them the hairdryer, they knew that it was worth paying attention to. They knew that it was serious and they knew that they wanted him to be nice again the next mm. week when they got back to training. Yeah. So it's another way of doing the man management thing, of, of preventing player power yeah. from rising up because you are able to, uh, again, manipulate yes. the emotions of but your he was, players because you're cleverer. Yeah, yeah, Fergie was in a unique situation at United with the, the amount of time he spent in the job. When problems did arise with the upstand with David Beckham, with maybe Konchelskis, Marcuse, who left the club? 
Fergie wasn't going. He wasn't exactly. going to leave the club. The players and the owner said, "Absolutely, if you made a decision that and they're getting not rid right, of the drinking problem. culture when yeah. he came Absolutely. in 1986." But so. is that how often is that going to happen at football clubs in the future? If Ranieri had said, "You know what? The problem in this club is Jamie Vardy's Mark Albright," and it's, the owner's going to say, "Right, Claudio, we'll get rid of that." That's no. Who who actually ends up leaving is, you, is the coach. Again, you come back to the, that thing that it's easier to sack a manager than it is to yeah. sack players because yes. ultimately, if say if Leicester had finished tenth this season, Ranieri would have stayed on. And in the summer, he might have been able to say to the owners, Vardy, Albrighton, whoever. I don't, and I cannot believe, I haven't met Mark Albrighton, I genuinely cannot believe he could possibly have been I a problem. I was quite surprised when his name was put he's into the mix. He's such a weird it's one to come uh, on. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Fa- it's famous rabble-rouser Mark Albrighton. He's been there a while. Firebrand Mark Albrighton. Recently emerged left back. Ranieri sitting in Rome thinking, ah, if it hadn't been Ben Chilwell, I'd gone away with it. The man holding the dagger. But he was happy to let Mares leave and he was happy to let Vardy leave so so maybe maybe Ranieri foresaw some issues that might have arisen Ranieri had said this season before he got sacked that that it's it's almost impossible to find players who win something and then immediately have that hundred to go and win more that's a really rare thing and I think we underestimate how rare that is Leicester in hindsight should have sold Vardy and probably should have sold Mares just as their value was high well, but that, that's what separates the really great clubs yeah. from those who achieve occasional success yeah. but this it, is that the, ability to put the middle away in the draw the moment after you've received it and start focusing on the next one not that's like you just sat on his seven yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's when I look at Leicester he still is with Leicester it's not going to get back to seriously <laughs> with Leicester it's not about the fact they won the title the previous season look at the team that they have now forget that they won the title this team should not be in relegation no, trouble so that is down to the performance of the players they, at the very least in this Premier League they should be mid-table that is the shameful thing is that they're battling relegation not the fact that they're champions battling relegation they should never be in this position that's down to their performance there's not a lot of Conte's left and all this type of stuff but they've still got really hard, or should have hard-working players who care about the job that they're doing but the problem is I see them as a championship club who have massively overachieved and now they're coming back to some kind of normality the trouble is these players are now on four or five year contracts earning a hundred £20,000 and you've taken away the drive and great players you look at United when they were massively successful the drive that their players had regardless of the money that they earned or the medals that they won day after day after day year after year Leicester players haven't got that and I think it's because of the type of players they are but even if you if, even if you look at the most successful club of the modern era Barcelona of, of the modern era of the last sort of 10 years they have a real issue with player power a huge problem with player power not just Messi they have an incredibly political dressing room people like PK are incredibly loud voices there's others who are influential but in a quieter way people like Iniesta and Neymar and what you get is these kind of these vacillations between sometimes that player power is incredibly negative and they'll get a manager sat or they'll, just, they'll decide they don't like Tata Martino or whatever and then at other occasions it's incredibly powerful incredibly helpful incredibly powerful because PK will gather them together or Messi or whoever and they'll say look this hasn't been working we're not necessarily massive fans of what the manager's doing but we're good enough to go and win games. Yes. PJ said that before, yeah, that they yeah. that they have kind of got themselves... Chelsea did the same under Avram Grant. Chelsea mm-hmm. got to a European Cup final, despite really only having a ghost as a manager. <laughs> so that's <laughs> real professionalism from that's, the players, isn't that's it? The, yeah. So you can harness player power to say, we are going to take this into our own hands. We are good enough to change this. When ourselves. the club's interests are uppermost in their minds, yeah. not their own interests. Yes. Yeah. Or when their, as Steve says, when their interests are the club's interests, when which most alive, of the time yeah. they should yeah. be. 
Yeah, you'd, you'd think, you'd think, yeah. You'd if, hope. If, if you, <laughs> you'd if you hope looked at your squad of players and thought, we are good enough to win this trophy, despite the fact we might not tactically agree with the coach, yeah. let's do something about that. In the same way that really Leicester's players should have been saying, we shouldn't be in this position. It is not just the coach. We yeah. might not agree with the yeah. way Ranieri has tweaked his tactics this season because we no longer have N'Golo Kante, but we are still too good collectively to be in this particular but that's the But that's the tactical thing, is players are actually thinking, I think we should be playing this system. I think we should be playing him there. And that players didn't used to think like that because they were told what was going to happen mm. and they got on with it so whether it is the money or whether it's just the way that the game has changed or the way that we cover the game the players feel they, they, they understand the game more than ever they don't just play their, their, their position they think about everything else that's going on as well whether that's right I don't know but to tell a coach we should be doing this when you've never coached in your life is really dangerous but it's the empowerment of the players isn't it it's partly having people agents Assistants around them telling, them telling them that they're perfect and that nothing's ever their fault, which happens to all people who are in prominent positions, some of them presidents. But also <laughs> it's, the, it's the, the fact that you've got coaches who are, go, who are trying to involve the players in the process, which naturally make the, the, the natural which, consequence of that. Is which that, Nigel Pearson did yeah. and Craig Shakespeare now is doing. Yeah. So you can understand why the players might have put in a performance mm. for Craig Shakespeare but that, that was akin to what they did for Nigel Pearson. If you involve people in a process, if you say, look, this is all collaborative, you are empowering them. You are giving them agency within that sphere to say mm. you, you have the kind of authority of your own decisions. Whereas what you're describing in the, in the 90s is a much more authoritarian yes, system yeah, yeah. where you're told what you're going to do and basically like it or lump it. Mm. If you involve the players, it's probably you maybe get better solutions out of them because they feel they buy into to what you're doing. But you also give them that, that feeling, my voice matters. If you're not listening to my voice, then I might start yeah, yeah. suggesting to other people yeah. that my voice isn't being heard. So you try and do the right thing, and that's the and thing that bites you on it, the yeah. backside. Yeah, quite right. Well, let's finish, shall we, uh, today with a story from Chinch. He's going to tell us the names of the five managers uh, <laughs> that he really disliked. Um, do keep your uh, hashtag Ask Chinch questions coming in, by the way. A few more have arrived. We would love some more. We'll do more of them soon. Send them to at setpiecemenu on Twitter. But a more traditional tale now, as we say, never mind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. This is when Andy tells a tale from his playing days that has had all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. We're a family show uh, with no legal budget. So, Andrew. Right. What we used to do at Everton, everybody kind of knew what each other was like, so everyone was kind of a bit stereotypical. Joe Parkinson, was his hair was thinning, so people used to bring in kind of hair gel and hair brushes and leave it on there, you know, where they used to get changed. Neville Southall, terrible dress sense, so people used to bring in flowery shirts and kind of hang them up. So what we did for all the different players, we all kind of knew what their characters were like, and we kind of all got involved in this. Players would bring different things in. But I used to, my, my, in my previous life, when I was previously married, my wife used to have horses. And we used to kick this horse, one of the first horses we got in a, in a, a local field, and it got stolen. It got whisked away in the night, horse this horse. Napped. Horse napped. Is that a word? <laughs> anyway, the horse went. We were, we were devastated. It's, it's a bit, you know, you get very... I don't, because horse riding is just stupid, isn't it? But <laughs> my wife seemed to like it. <laughs> Massive alienation <laughs> of our horse riding constituency. I had to do the mucking out. I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, the equine element of our audience <laughs> yeah, is just, just, just turned switch. off there. <laughs> so we're, we're devastated about this. The horse... It did actually make the local news a little bit. It was kind of a snippet. I don't know how these things got out, but it got out there anyway. So... The day after this had all happened and the, the, the story broke, everyone at Everton knew what had happened. I came into training the next day, opened the door to the dressing room. My little place was in the corner. There was six tins of pedigree chum. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That's heartless, isn't it? That <laughs> that's pretty heartless, isn't it? I thought you were going to go in the Godfather direction there. I'm glad you weren't. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, oh, no. Worry, yeah. <laughs> no, six tins of pedigree. How heartless is that? Who was responsible? I'm not naming any names, Ian Snodd. It was responsible, but it was really bad, oh, wasn't was it, it? Was it what? Snodds? Was it Snodds? Snodds, you call him, do yeah. you? I see him every time I go to Everton and do matches. He's up on the big screen doing the fan zones. And I th- all I can see is his body with pedigree chum at the top. <laughs> Devastated me. Pedigree chum for I, I laughed it off, but it, it had a... We actually found the horse. It ended up... We were in Manchester. We found the horse in Bristol. That's a, they they a just run away. Been down the M5. No, it been, you been po- ran away. You've been treating it poorly. The M6 and M5. Well, it's an easy corridor to follow. It is. But it's quite slow, to be fair. Yeah, well, yeah. Spira was quite an old pace. horse. You know, what was no it called? Way. I think it was a boy. Was it a boy? Yes. Yeah. Spira. S-P-I-R-A. I don't know what that means. I've no idea. It's a chocolate bar. The Spira was like the twirl, but better. A horse got named. We didn't yeah, name wow. it. It was already that named. Was, that was a top class bar. Was brilliant. Wasn't yeah. it? Spira. Those back. The Spira, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Never heard of it. They were amazing. Were they? Yeah. Well, you, were, you were a professional you were an athlete, athlete you were around. Yeah. yeah, you would have been allowed to. No eat sugar in your life. I was on Toblerone. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of fat, though, if you watched him eat those breakfast bombs a little bit earlier on. Uh, thank you, Chinch, Chum. And don't forget, you can be an inspiration for a future soccer story, too. Hashtag Ask Chinch. Please do subscribe, share, and review Set Peaks Menu as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Um, do follow us on Twitter as well, at Set Piece Menu. Steve Wyeth is our marketing and social media correspondent, so he's very capable. It's because I'm the most youthful amongst us. That's, I, un- that's I understand this technology Might not be stuff. true uh, statistically, but yes, yeah, certainly in the clothes you wear. Uh, thank you, uh, everybody, uh, for listening. Thank you to Steve, Rory, and Andy as well. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon. So we're going to get some music for the beginning then, are we? Yeah. yeah. I think we should. But first, can I ask Chinch a question? Oh. Is it, <laughs> was it hurtful that after all those years at Everton, mm. the one, your like, defining characteristics your teammates was, oh, he's got a horse. That's the one thing uh, that you were about. The the horse had been stolen and could have been turned into glue or dog food. I'd have got Brit stick for you, to be fair. You see, you're yeah. on a different level. I That's really, why you never made it as a professional footballer. I, I really, I really thought the modern day footballer would have... They'd have gone out and bought a horse. You'd have come yeah, and found a done. horse. Well, what were you doing? They'd, your locker, no, they'd gone, you? gone out and bought a horse and shot it. Again, the equine listeners currently. Joe Parkinson was, was thinning, had a bit of a, you know, a baldy pate going on. We used to go to hotels and you know the domes that they cover food? You know when they go, yeah. hi yeah. and they show you the food that you're going to eat? We used to steal those from hotels, take them back to the training ground, put a bootlace on them and tie them on his peg. And he had about 15 at one point of these baldy domes. We shouldn't be doing that, should we? Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice that you were taking such an interest in interior design. The Dodgers of war go on homes under the hammer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, I was the Chihuahua of destiny. <laughs> I was really a dog of war, was I? No, you weren't hey. a dog of war. Who were the dogs no. of war? Joe, Joe Parkinson, Parkinson, Barry Horn, John Ebrill. They were the... I and think they were not the... Chinch. No, I-